0: Father, we thank you that we can rest in you. We thank you, Lord, that anyone who comes unto you is able to receive from you a rest that surpasses all understanding. Even though the world is in turmoil, you offer a rest that no one else is able to offer. Father, we thank you that we can come together this evening as your, as your called out ones to worship you. We long to see you high and lifted up. And Father, as we turn our our hearts now to your word, we ask that you would continue to minister to us. Come and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good evening, everyone. Thank you, worship team. That was awesome. I trust you all had a good week. Um, My week was okay. (laughs) So this evening we're going to continue in our series on on church life. um, As we continue to unpack what God has been doing in and through his church, not only recently, but over long periods of time leading up to today. And last week, Malcolm helped us to get a picture of what God has been doing in Africa and how God has worked growing his church here on this continent that we call home. And so this evening we're going to continue in the stream of thinking, looking at, at church life, and we're going to be looking at the church and society. We're going to look at church and the community, and we're going to see what God has been doing, touch on some of that, and what God is doing. But most importantly, what is something that God teaches us to do that continues to make us effective in being his agents in this world, in bringing the kingdom to come here? Now, in what we call the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus gives us the command to go to all nations to share the good news of the kingdom. And so Jesus wants this news to find its way into as many societies, as many communities as we possibly can reach. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4 that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's something very specific and particular about the church having local churches in communities. There's a plan that God has behind that. And so we are called Pinelands Baptist Church because we are in Pinelands. And so that idea of a local church being situated in different communities is something that happens across the world. And God has placed groups of believers there for a particular reason. And so I want to say to you that you are here for a particular reason. You are not here by chance. You are not here by mistake. God has a plan for you and for your life. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul says, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And that is something that happens in whatever part of his creation he places and positions us. Throughout history, if we again look back, we see that the church has been busy participating in these good works that God has set out for us to do, In societies, in communities, communicating this message of the good news in many different ways. An example of this is the idea of hospitals. Hospitals are a good idea, um, or a good example at least, of how the church has offered care to communities. In fact, I don't think it's too far fetched to say that the church actually invented the idea of hospitals. The idea of a hospital arose as a Christian institution dependent upon Christian principles. In a historical survey published by John Hopkins University, it says, the hospital was, in origin and conception, a distinctively Christian institution, rooted in Christian concepts of charity and philanthropy there were no pre-christian institutions in the ancient world that served the purpose that christian hospitals were created to serve none of the provisions for health care in classical times resembled hospitals as they developed in the late 4th century so the idea of health care situated in societies and communities was something that the church played a very important role in and throughout its long history besides medical care the church has been a major source of social services in schooling and inspiration for art culture philosophy law an influential and influential player as well in politics In various ways, the church has sought to affect attitudes towards the direction of many diverse fields. Another example is during the 1500s, there was widespread concern for education because the Reformers desired everyone to be able to read the Bible. And so the church argued that it was necessary for society that its youth be educated. They held that it was the duty of civil authorities to compel people to keep their children in school, so that there will always be preachers, jurists, pastors, writers, physicians, schoolmasters, and the like, for we cannot do without them. That's what they said. And this stress that was placed on those many, many years ago by the church was made evident by the founding of many schools. And then also many of the early leaders of the scientific revolution were Christians who openly confessed their faith in Jesus, and that list includes some of those people up there. And then in also in the arts, there are the, re- the Renaissance masterpieces produced by artists like Michelangelo, like Leonardo da Vinci and Raphael, that remain amongst the most celebrated works of art ever produced. And you'll find in cathedrals. And then, of course, also similarly, Christian sacred music by composers like Vivaldi, Bach, Handel, Mozart, Haydn, Beethoven, and a few others, is still among the most admired classical music in the Western canon to date. Virtually every major composer contributed to the development of Western church music as an outlet for their work. And so the presence and the influence of the church has been present and active in society and in communities for a long, long time. But this is the question, what is it about the church that has led to this influence on society? If we consider the fact, when we think about that, that the church has also suffered much persecution, and ostracization, ostracization throughout history. What is it about the church that has enabled Jesus to continue to build his body and to have the influence that it has had on societies and communities? Now, I'd like us to consider an element of influence that Jesus spoke about concerning our attitude, the attitude of believers towards society. It's a timeless principle that we'll find in the books of Matthew. We'll find it in Mark chapter 9 and verse 50 and Luke, but we'll only look at Matthew and Luke. I'm sure you'll recognize it already. This is how Matthew records what Jesus says. He said from chapter 5 verse 13, you are the salt of the earth But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. That's Matthew's version. This is what Luke says. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile it is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So Luke gives us a little bit more, I think, information about what Jesus actually was referencing there when he spoke about us being the salt of the earth. And so we'll focus a little bit more on what Luke says. So the context of this is that there were great crowds of people who were following Jesus, and he taught them using parables. And in these portions of scripture, Jesus uses this analogy of us being salt. Now what's interesting about what Jesus says here is that just by being something, not even by saying anything, not even doing anything, just by virtue of being something, we have an effect. Salt affects its environment simply by being what it is. No talk, no action. Now I'd like us to focus here on the gospel of Luke and what he says because Luke actually gives us, as I said, a little bit more information about what Jesus was talking about here concerning the salt. I don't think Matthew quite defines it the way that Luke does. Now in the biblical world, Salt would have been harvested from the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is about 34 kilometers southeast of Jerusalem. And what would have happened was salt merchants would have harvested salt from the shores. You see, it is so salty that salt actually begins to form on the the beach of the sea. And so salt merchants would go and they would harvest the salt, they would process it, and then they would sell it on because salt had so many uses in the ancient world. Now when Jesus says in verse 35 there, "It is fit neither for the soil," He is talking about salt being used as a fertilizer. And the word "soil thee" is the same word as the word "earth" that is used in Matthew, the salt of the earth." Now, salt is used as a fertilizer, and it works on plants, it works on grass, on trees. In fact, studies from Italy and Israel that analyzed how tomatoes taste when they were fertilized with a salt solution found that it actually appeared to taste better because of the increased sugars and um, Salts produced by this salt solution to the plant. And so sea salt is a fertilizer. And Jesus, as he was talking about this, was making a reference to the fertilizer that you put on the soil to make good things grow. And that is one of the uses that Jesus is referencing here. But then Jesus also mentions the manure pile. Now the manure pile that Jesus is mentioning here doesn't relate to animal manure; he's actually talking about human manure. So in in biblical times, people didn't have flush toilets, as some people still don't do. They had a space in the yard, and um, you would go there, and then you would you would do your business. So there's an image of of what a what a toilet looked like in those times. All it was was a little, in the, in the center there, you see there's a little limestone block with a hole carved in the middle, and that would be situated in your yard, and you would go there, and you would, you would do what you needed to do. And so you'd probably go there, and you would... I thought about how do you describe this? You'd go there, and you'd empty your bowels. <laughs> You'd empty your bowels in the back of the yard. You'd drop your deuce. And then by the the side of this latrine, there would be a box of salt. And you would take a handful of that salt and you'd throw it on what you had just produced. (laughs) Now, salt in that case is a disinfectant a very simple disinfectant to stop the spread of things that you didn't want to grow. Now when you put these two ideas that Jesus uses here in calling us salt, when you bring those two together, it gives us a negative and a positive influence of salt. So salt as a fertilizer promoted the growth of good things, Things that you wanted to grow, salt for the earth, and then as a disinfectant, it inhibited the spread of bad things that you didn't want to grow on your manure pile. And so when we think about this, it's actually an amazing picture of what Jesus is describing and telling us to be, calling us, of how that same element, namely salt, can both cause growth as well as preventing growth. And Jesus tells us that we are to be like that salt. Not by saying anything, not by doing anything, but by being totally different from the environment that we are in. As a fertilizer and as a disinfectant. And this is our role, I think, in society. To be different from our environment and have a profound influence on it at the same time. Now, I want us just to take three things away from, here, from what Jesus is saying as he speaks about salt. And the first thing relates to the amount a considerable amount before any effect is shown. You need handfuls of salt in both cases, when you are fertilizing and when you are um, putting it on your manure. A little sprinkling is not going to do much. And so in a community, in a society, with social trends being what they are, we would only be able to have an effect if we spread around enough of the influence that is required. And so while what we could call a hit-and-run ministry or a flash-in-the-pan kind of ministry event is good and it has value, I think if we really want to see real change, then enough of consistent action is what we really need. So that's the first point we take away from that. And that is the fact that we need to give the right amount of salt. The second is the aspect of distribution. Salt is of no use in the box next to you there if it only is going to stay there. Or if it's only going to stay on the shelf. Salt has to be in direct contact with the soil It must be in direct contact with the manure before it is able to operate. In other words, it operates by presence, by proximity, and not absence. And so as long as salt is locked up in a meeting like this, as long as the salt remains here, we cannot be the salt of the earth. If we keep our saltiness to ourselves, then we are of little use to society and to the community that God has chosen to place us in. Third and final point. So, so to recap, salt is, must be administered in the right amount and then it must be in direct contact with the earth. But then the last aspect is the aspect of quality. Jesus said, if salt loses its saltiness, if the quality is of a low grade, then it's useless. Now, how can salt, sodium chloride, as it's also called, lose its salty quality? Now, I'm not a chemist, but I have read and I've actually experienced it in cooking. I had Johannes around for lunch today. He can vouch I have experienced in cooking that salt really cannot lose its saltiness. The saltiness doesn't go away, but it does lose its effectiveness. And I think this is what Jesus is referring to here. He says when this happens, it is of no use other than to be thrown away and to be trod underfoot. Now, a way that salt could lose its saltiness, as Jesus said here, is by being adulterated, by being polluted by something else, by being watered down with other substances. And so, in ancient times, a conniving salt dealer, when he went to the Dead Sea and collected salt, he would be sure to scrape up plenty of sand, with his salt and so a lot of of what he had there wasn't pure salt but sand and other bits of stone in it and that's the only way that salt will lose its saltiness by having too much other stuff mixed in with it and so it degrades the quality of the salt. Now, there's lots more that we can say about these things, but we'll stop there this evening as we think about this aspect that Jesus calls us and this, this quality that we need to demonstrate and exercise within society. And so when we think about our position in society as the salt of the earth now, I think there are three questions I'd like to ask. Is the volume of the gospel that we are giving enough? Are we proximate enough? Are we close enough to what is happening around us in society the hurt and the pain, and even the manure. Are we going along with what is happening in society, thereby degrading the quality of our saltiness? And Jesus actually gives a scary result if we aren't. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that it is you who is building your church. And so we thank you, Lord, that it is you who is ministering not only in us, but through us. Father, we ask that as we continue to follow you, as you continue to lead us, that you would continue to be at work in our hearts, in our minds, that our quality would not be degraded, that we would always be proximate, that we would always be willing to speak, to be witnesses of your truth, of your grace, of your mercy to a world who desperately needs it. And so we, we thank you, we worship you, Lord. Continue to minister to us as we think about being the salt of the earth.